Well, good morning. I would like to open uh, with a word of prayer very quickly, and then we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this worship service. Thank you for everybody that's gathered here. I just ask that you will uh, uh, be uh, clear where I am not, that you will be uh, powerful where I am weak, and Lord, where you will be glorified, where we tend to uh, think only of ourselves. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and verse number 35 is where we're going to be in reading in just a moment. <clears throat> My goal is to uh, encourage you today in speaking about the truth of the resurrection. To be quite honest with you, I wanted to take this a little bit different direction, but the blessing of being a, a, a preaching expositorily is you have to constrain yourself to the text, and that's very good. It keeps me from running rabbit trails or speaking on my favorite topics, right? So 1 Corinthians 15, there were those, if you remember, at Corinth who had begun to teach that actually there is no such thing as a resurrection from the dead. For them, the very idea of a resurrection was one giant April Fool's joke, if, if, if there were April Fool's back then. Paul quotes them in verse number 12, and you can see it if you look in verse 12 of chapter 15. He says, some of you are saying there is no resurrection of the dead. And in the Greek thought, in the current thought at Corinth in those days, the idea that the human body uh, might have an eternal future was just absolutely ridiculous. They, they believed that the body was a prison, that, that the material world was a, a thing from which we ought to escape. And so, uh, so that there might be a material future for the bo uh, body and for the world beyond death was beyond their ability to even think or ability to credit, whatever you want to say. And so in response, in verses 12 to 34, Paul worked to unpack the implications of their thinking. Uh, and, and those implications were far worse than and far more radical than they realized themselves. And so Paul showed us if there's no possibility of resurrection in general, then there must not be a resurrection for Jesus Christ either because we're so closely tied to him in resurrection, right? You remember us speaking about that. And if Christ has not been raised, then Paul said that we are of all men most to be pitied. If Jesus Christ didn't step alive again out of the grave on that Easter morning, uh, third day from the tomb, then Christianity is a sham and we can all pack up and go home, right? So you, cannot, you can't slide the resurrection out of the superstructure of the Christian faith and, find a, and not find the whole thing crumbling down around us. The resurrection of Jesus is essential. So in verse 35, look at verse number 35 with me. Paul anticipates a snarky, cynical response from some of the Corinthians. And I'm going to put it in 21st century speak, if you will. But look at verse number 35. Okay, if you're so smart, if the dead will rise again, then tell me what kind of body they'll have. You see, that's what, that's what they're asking. Mr. Smarty Pants didn't tell us what's going on here. That's not an honest inquiry. It's an attempt to highlight what the Corinthians felt was a, an absurdity in Paul's teaching. Oh, sure, resurrection, just one question. If this resurrection body you're, 
you're so convinced that we're going to receive one day, just what will it look like, Paul? And, and so you're, you're being ridiculous. That's their perspective. And so Paul then, in verse 36, if you look at it, he, he turns the tables on him. He says, when you embrace the philosophy of the age, instead of bowing before the truth of God's word, you embrace foolishness. And so he calls them, you foolish person. He's basically turned the tables on them uh, rhetorically and said, uh, y'all are the ones being fools here. You're the real fools. And he says to correct their mistake. He wants them, uh, he wants to set them straight, and he does it by highlighting three themes. And we're going to read the passage in just a moment. But there are three themes we'll be pa- uh, focusing on this morning. The first is in verses 36 to 41. He speaks of resurrection and creation. And in verses 42 to 44, resurrection and transformation. And finally, in verses 45 to 49, the resurrection and redemption. He makes a connection for us uh, between our resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus by returning to a parallel that he's already drawn between Adam in the garden and Christ, whom he calls the second Adam, the last Adam. And so with these themes in mind, let's stand and we'll read God's word together. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there also is a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and the second man is from heaven. As it was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as it is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Lord, we thank you for this word. Uh, Help us to think clearly about the resurrection, and I pray that you will encourage us through the word today in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. Resurrection and creation. To, to point out the foolishness of their objection about the resurrection, Paul gives a common illustration from nature. And in three significant ways, he, uh, he shows that the resurrection is similar to planting and growth of crops. The original form is dissolved. When you plant a seed, many of you planted seeds, I'm sure, already this year, right, for your gardens. 
And when you plant a seed, uh, the original is dissolved and final forms are different in kind. And yet the two forms have continuity. A resurrection is not impossible because it occurs on a small scale in the plant world all the time, doesn't it? Verse number 36, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. And so the idea of resurrection is not ridiculous at all. Paul says, in fact, we deal with it all the time. When a farmer sows a seed, he buries it. When the crop finally sprouts up and grows, the seed is gone completely. It is perished. Uh, something new has arisen from it. There's some kind of a, a death and resurrection all around us in every field and in every garden and in every forest. And he says to us, this is the picture of the resurrection of the believer. I grew up in Illinois. Literally, I grew up in the middle of cornfields. If you've been through central Illinois, Bob's here somewhere. He knows what I'm talking about. You have farmhouses and, and you can't, in the middle of July, you can't see anything other than corn because the corn is so tall, but the corn comes from a, just, a, a, just a kernel, and then in, in one summer, the field corn will get 10 feet tall. It's amazing to me the way that happens. So much energy is bound up in that little kernel, the way God made it, and that's a picture of our resurrection. And Paul is really building on the language of Christ himself from John 23, or I'm sorry, John 12, 23, 24, where Jesus is talking about his own death and resurrection, and he says this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, I want you to pay close attention to what he says. Look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And there, Jesus is the seed that dies. He's the one who dies and bears much fruit. And Paul by using the same language only to describe our destinies, is saying that, that Jesus' death and resurrection becomes a great template for our own. Isn't that great? If, if, if we're believers in him, we, like him, will die. Like him, we'll enter into the glory of the resurrection, though, one day. That is so incredible, isn't it? I mean, we, we deal, well, I'll, I'll say that, that's for later on in the sermon. But he, he talks about continuity between the new and the old. He says, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, what is he saying here? He's saying a wheat seed doesn't become barley, and a flax seed doesn't become corn. God has given each type of seed a body of its own, whose identity continues into a grown plant after Jesus was raised. Now, I want you to think about this. You've read the Gospels. We read them so many times. We're so familiar with them that sometimes we lose a little bit in, in our familiarity with it. So just, just think about this for just a minute. When, when Jesus was raised from the dead, no one recognized him unless he revealed himself. Remember that, Right? The disciples knew his faith, but once revealed, he was recognizable. And so the disciples then knew his face. They recognized his wounded side, his pierced hands. And in a similar way, don't miss this, in a similar way, 
our resurrected bodies as believers will have continuity with the bodies that we have now. But it will be substantially different. Our bodies will die. They will change form, but they will still be our bodies in the resurrection. Surely it's not too hard to believe that the God who has worked this process daily through the century in his creation of plants can do it with man as well, right? But he also makes an argument about the order of creation. Look at verse number 39 to 41. He says, For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animal, and another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one time, one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. And if you know anything about me at all, this is where I really want to get derailed. And uh, I'm not going to allow that to happen today. You see, Paul is listing various orders in the created world. Verses 39 to 41, not all flesh is the same. Humans have one kind. Animals have another. Birds, even fish, they're all different. I never figured out how you can eat uh, fish and it's not considered eating meat. But it's true. I don't know if you knew that or not. Uh, people who don't, in cultures where uh, they don't, well, I'll just tell you, in Israel, they, you have a meat meal and a, a bread, or a, like a bread meal of sorts, right? And in, it's usually, in, when we go to Israel, it's in breakfast. But breakfast has no meat, but they serve fish. And they're still not serving meat. The meat meal is in the evening. So I, I, don't, I don't understand all that, but, but they're all different. Heavenly bodies and earthly bodies are different. The sun and the moon and the stars, they all differ from one another in glory. And the point he's making this time is this. Each of God's creatures has been perfectly fitted for the environment uh, by its creator. You, You remember the Corinthians were asking, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they be raised? And Paul's answering and saying, just that, just like creation that we see all around us uh, right now, so in the resurrection that awaits us, God will prepare for us a body that will fit perfectly our new environment. Won't that be wonderful? Okay. When I lived in Wisconsin, I, I knew my body wasn't fitted for the cold environment up there. Okay. <laughs> what I think is interesting, I want you to see this, and, and this is fascinating to me. Look at the order in which he lists things. Do you notice anything about it? If you're an astute person, you may have noticed this, or if you've studied this before, if you look again, he lists first humans, then animals, then birds, then fish, then the sun, then the moon, then the stars, and what is that? That's the exact reverse order of the creation in Genesis. It's exactly reversed. Now, what point is he trying to make here? What point is he trying to make when he reverses the order? I think the point is this. When the resurrection comes, when Jesus returns on the last day, it's not going to be like an upgrade to the software of your life. It's especially not Windows. Um, 
it's not, it's not a splash of paint on a broken down house of your life. It is an entire renovation, not only of your life, but of all creation. It will be a thoroughgoing transformation of all things. Nothing will be left unchanged on that great day. In other words, let me put it in plain English. I don't think God's going to destroy everything and create something new. I believe this is another text that shows us that God's going to renovate everything, beginning with humanity, ending with the stars. Complete renovation, not a complete destruction, annihilation, and a new creation. That's resurrection and creation. What about resurrection and transformation? Look at what he says next. So it is, This is verse 42. So it is in, with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Now notice the adjectives. The seed of this life, he said, is sown in what is it? It's perishable. In dis, in what else is it? It's sown in dishonor. It's sown in weakness. It's sown as a natural body. Now that's a pretty decent description of my life and my experience. Um, you know how as you get older, you, your mind thinks you can still do the things that you once did, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Uh, we have a new puppy at the house and it likes to chase me. And in my mind, I'm running really fast. And in reality, it's like a slow-mo video. You know what I'm saying? We, we, this, our bodies are, are weak. And so you can relate too, right? Weakness, dishonor, perishable, a body that ages, a body that gets sick, a body that's fragile, a body that's the focus of temptation, and a body that's even the instrument of sin. It's a natural body. That's you and that's me. But Paul says that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, when the trumpet sounds, the perishable seed will be raised what? Imperishable. Bodies will not break down. Praise be to God, they will not age. They will not hurt. They will not die. Bodies sown in dishonor, he says, will be raised in glory on that day. You remember, since Adam and Eve hid themselves in the garden after eating the forbidden fruit. They did that because they were afraid, because they were naked, because there was shame and dishonor now where there had not been before. But the Apostle John says, this is in 1 John 3, 2, we shall uh, be not as yet, I'm sorry, what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall be like him. And so, dear believer, there's a day coming when we will no longer regard ourselves with shame and dishonor. We will be made like Jesus in the glory of his resurrection body, in, in raised in glory, not in dishonor. Our bodies here, Paul says, are sown in weakness, but on that day we will be raised in power. Our new bodies will, be, will exemplify strength and ability. Never again will they 
bow down under the weight of our present limitations and failures. Never again will the urge to indulge our flesh and sin defeat us. Our bodies will be forever revived and with a vitality necessary to love and serve and praise God for all of eternity. What do you look forward to the most in resurrection life to come? We, we long for the day when we will never again be tired, nor weep, nor lie awake at night with worry. In the new creation, we'll never have a friend turn their back on us or a spouse abandon us and walk away. The prospect of, of no more illness, no more death, no more heartache and loss makes us just long for that day, doesn't it? It does. But look at verse number 44. This is important. This is where a, uh, people get tripped up. He says this, It is sown a natural body, is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Now, what on earth is he saying, a spiritual body? What does he mean? Does he suddenly mean that we have no physical body, physical as opposed to spiritual that way? I think he's using this to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. So think, think with me about this. It is a body raised by the power of the Holy Spirit and controlled by him. It's a spiritual body, a body empowered and animated by the Holy Spirit. The body is physical, but in contrast to one's earthly body, it lives in a whole new realm. It's a body enlivened by the Holy Spirit. I was reading uh, commentator F.F. Bruce this week, and he said this. He said, what is sown is a, is a body animated by the soul. What is raised is a body energized by the Spirit. I like that. I like that. It's, it's complete. In other words, we're under complete control of the Holy Spirit. We're not dead men walking, so to speak. And then let's look at resurrection and redemption. So then we ask this question, where do I get this transformation from, and from whom will this transformation come? Well, it begins with a quotation from Genesis 2-7 with the addition of two words, first and Adam. He says this, he says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. In Genesis 2-7, it just says, the man became a living being. Adam was created with a natural body. It was not glorified. His body was not glorified, but it was perfect and good in every way. Adam and Eve, uh, track with me. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in a probationary period. Had they proved faithful rather than disobedient, their bodies would have been glorified and immortalized by eating of the fruit of the tree of life. That's how they would have received their glorified bodies, which they could have eaten. But because they sinned, however, they were put out of the garden in case they ate of the tree of life and lived forever in a state of sin. You see? And so then tree of life 
is an analogy of sorts for the power of the Holy Spirit enlivening us. The last Adam, however, became a life-giving spirit. The last Adam is Jesus Christ. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience many will be made righteous. He's, he's the last Adam. Through Adam we in, inherited our natural bodies, and through Christ we will inherit spiritual bodies at the resurrection. I am so excited about inheriting a spiritual body. I cannot wait. Adam's was a prototype of our natural bodies, whereas Christ's was the prototype of our spiritual bodies. Don't miss this. I'm saying a lot. I'm packing a lot into this message. Adam was a prototype of everybody that's been born. Christ's resurrection body is a prototype of every resurrection body. All the descendants of Adam, are you, raise your hand if you're a descendant of Adam, right? All descendants of Adam have natural bodies, and all the descendants of Christ will have spiritual bodies. Christ's resurrection, therefore, was a prototype of all the subsequent resurrections. Verse 46, look at verse number 46. But it is not spiritual that is first, but natural then spiritual. So that's easy, isn't it? Every human being starts with, starting with Adam, and including Christ has begun human life in a natural, physical body. That body was raised from the dead on Easter morning and um, had been a, it had been a natural body, the incarnate body which Christ was born with, in which he lived and died. In the resurrection, though, he received his spiritual, eternal body that, he, by the way, he still has to this day. Adam... The first man from whom the natural race came originated on earth. In fact, was created directly from what? Dust. Dusty. Okay? In every way, he was dusty. But Christ called the second man, because he has produced a spiritual race, existed eternally before he came a man, lived on earth in a natural body, but he came from heaven I, Adam was tied to the earth, to the dust. Christ is tied to heaven. So we'll exchange a, an earthly body for a heavenly body. It's, it's what it's tied to. Do you see that? It's, uh, the language is huh, just really cool, for lack of a better term. Uh, dusty, earthly, compared to heavenly. What are we tied to? And by the way, because we're heavenly beings... That, that, that then tells us that we should not get tied too tightly to the things on this earth, right? Because of our natural descent from Adam, we are part of those who are dusty. But because of our inheritance in Jesus Christ, we have also become part of those who are heavenly. In Adam we are dusty. In Christ we become heavenly. One day our natural bodies from Adam will be changed into our heavenly bodies for Christ. Now look at verse number 49. Verse number 49. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Just as we will exchange Adam's natural body for Christ's spiritual body, we will also exchange Adam's image for Christ. Won't that be great? Yes. 
Now, let's think about that for just briefly. Let's just think. Let's do some other scripture here for just a minute. From Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, we get some idea of the greatness and the power and the wonder of our resurrection bodies and what they will be like, don't we? You remember Jesus appeared and disappeared at will? If you're a parent of young children, there are times when you want to disappear at will, right? <laughs> oh, man, I wish I could tell you this. But I don't want to there was a, a parent and a child in the office two weeks ago, and actually several children. One of the children ran up and tattled on a sibling. I could just see that poor mom just wanted to melt into the floor. <laughs> anyway, the, the res- uh, Christ appeared and disappeared at will, reappearing again in another place far distant. He could go through walls. He could go through door closed doors. And yet, at the same time, he could eat and drink and sit and talk and be seen by those he wanted to be seen by. He was remarkably the same and yet even more remarkably different. After his ascension in Acts 11, the angels told the amazed disciples, they gave him this promise, this Jesus who was taken up from heaven in, or from you into heaven will come again in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's gonna, when he comes back, he's coming back in the same way, in the clouds, in the air, and all that, but he's also going to come with the same body that he went up with. The, bodily, the body the disciples saw after Jesus' resurrection is the same body they will see when he comes back again that we will see. And just as with our Lord, our bodies, which are now perishable and dishonored and weak and natural, will be raised into imperishable bodies, which are glorious and powerful and spiritual, that which hindered our service or display of God will now be a marvelous channel of fulfillment. We will have His own power to serve and to praise Him and His own glory, which we can manifest and which we can magnify Him with. Won't that be great? We'll share with it. Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Isn't that wonderful? We'll shine just like our Father. In heaven, we will radiate like the sun. Jesus, Jesus, when his body was completely glorified, radiated like the sun. We get some idea of what that is like when you go back to Exodus. Remember the veil, or I'm sorry, the Pentateuch, the veil over Moses' face because he was with God in his His face shone with the glory of God. It reflected the glory of God. And so, uh, same thing. Uh, That that, um, we will be uh, shine like the sun, blazing, magnificent glory into which the Lord will graciously share with those who are His. Christ will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. By the power enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. We can't imagine exactly what it's going to be like, can we? I can't. But it's going to be great. Even our present spiritual eyes can't even envision what that's going to be like. 
John 3, 2, 1 John 3, 2, I already mentioned this. Beloved, we are God's children, and now what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. The coming resurrection is the hope and the motivation of the church and all believers, isn't it? Isn't that what animates you? The resurrection Whatever happens to our present bodies, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, beautiful or plain, short-lived or long-lived, whether they're indulged or tortured, they're not our permanent bodies, and so therefore we should not hold them too dearly. Don't abuse them, but don't hold them too dearly. Our blessed hope and assurance is that these created natural bodies will one day be recreated spiritual bodies. Although we only have a glimpse of what those new bodies will be like, it should be enough to know this, that we shall be like him. So let me ask you a question as we close. Are you in the first Adam, a man of dust, only born once, but going to die twice? Is that your situation? Or are you in the last Adam, a man of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of sinners? Are you born twice, only to die once? And then live in resurrection body forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that your destiny? That is the demand that the first Easter uh, made of everyone. You will be born twice and so die once and then live in glory in the resurrection life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's one choice. Or the other choice is remain in Adam, a man of the earth, a man of the dust, and be doomed to die twice. That second one, eternal death in hell. That's the choice today. Live by faith in Jesus Christ, live for yourself, and die twice. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement from Scripture on the resurrection. We can't even imagine what that will be like one day. We, we can't comprehend. We can read the promises and we can cling to the promises. We can uh, uh, read uh, how Jesus was and know that we're going to be somewhat like him, a lesser glory, but glory nevertheless. But Lord, I pray that you will take our hearts, minds, and turn our hearts, desires heavenward so that as much as we can in this life, will be heavenly people living for the glory of God. We thank you for Jesus who died, but he was resurrected in great glory and power so that we only die once and we will be resurrected in great glory and great power. In Jesus' name, amen.